welcome back to the Martial Arts Mania Podcast. I'm AJ. And I'm Gavin. Oh, yes. Let's, let's clearly establish that. AJ. Gavin. <laughs> For those of you that don't know, in case you haven't listened to our previous 99 episodes. That's right. Today, we are celebrating a huge milestone. Today is our 100th episode. Now, technically, we re-released our very first episode one time uh, before, because when we first started, we were just on SoundCloud. Then we got on to Apple. So I re-released our first episode with our sensei, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. So that doesn't technically count. And I did a little introduction episode when we first started. That was only like two minutes. It was actually part of the initial project that this began as, which I'll get to later. So that doesn't really count. And I wasn't going to count our audio commentary for Martial Law, the film, but... I'm like, yeah, that was an episode, so I've got to count it. So I, I, we we had thought initially we were going to be doing a ton of those. And after that first disastrous one, <laughs> I think we were kind of like, all right, we. I would still like to do those in the future. And I think we would be excellent for that. But you can't just wing it like we did. You know, you've got to have all your notes ready and yeah. be in a, a better environment too. We were in my little loft apartment still in LA when we did that I think, one. I think so. there was hummus dip and uh, guacamole dip out. We're, uh, we're fans of dip. And, and, and I will say that when it's not, we're not talking about scripted, but when it's not necessarily planned out, it can become a little, uh, mystery science theater esque and that's not what we're here to do we're not here to 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 take the wind out of the sails of films but be the wind that keeps them going down the highway known as the ocean the wind beneath their wings yes yes Mm, great bet midler reference there on the martial arts media podcast uh yeah so this is our 100th episode it is our super 100th episode uh, due to the film we are going to be reviewing a little bit later on. But I thought right out the gate, we should kind of give a little bit of backstory for how this whole podcast began. Now, we've talked about a little bit in the past, and obviously anybody that's listened to us from the get-go will know, but I think we let's go all the way back to the beginning, my friend, to the very beginning of how we first met. And okay. that was kind of... Uh, Little did we know that was the catalyst. The seed was planted. So initially, and I don't really remember this as shameful as it is, but we first met at Dragon Fest 2017. Yeah, I I was going to say, I feel like it's 17. Right, because I missed the Dragon Fest my first year uh, when I moved back from China to LA. And I remember because I was working Uh, It was before I started my own fitness company and I was working for a few different gyms and I had to miss it. And I was super bummed because one of my best buddies, Danny, went and got to meet Sasha Mitchell. And I was like, oh, man, Cousin Cody, no. Uh, And he's like, yeah, man, he was a super awesome guy. He was inviting me to hang out and stuff. And uh, you never know with Danny. He could have been exaggerating, too, just to try to get under my skin. But uh, it was the next year, which was, in my opinion, from the Dragon Fest I've uh, attended, uh, was the last kind of classic Dragon Fest, the last one to me that felt like the ones I went to as a kid. So for mm-hmm. reference, I of the original run of Dragon Fest, which started like in the late 90s and went through the early 2000s, 
uh, I can't remember if it, I don't think they even lasted a decade, but I went to 2001, 2002, and 2003. Uh, unfortunately, most of my photos from 2002 and 2003, excuse me, uh, yeah, 2001, 2002, 2003, because uh, I went freshman, sophomore, and junior year of high school. Yeah, so that makes sense. Uh, I, I lost most of my pictures from the second two years, but, uh, I couldn't go my senior year of high school because I was too busy with my final examinations for the IB program and stuff. And I even said to myself, next year, I'll be a freshman in college. I'll have plenty of free time. I'm going to go. And that was the last year they did. It was 2004. They brought it back, uh, you know, over a decade later. And for me, the 2017 one, was the last year it, it really felt like those early ones. It was big. It was extravagant. They had a ton of booths, a ton of the classic people, also kind of random people in a good way that showed up that year. It, it just felt like a big, awesome event. They had I, the whole panel with guests and cool guests. They had Robin Shu and a couple yes. of other big names that aren't it, normally it, there. It's one of those events that you go to where you walk away getting talked into buying stuff and you feel good about it. Right. Uh, that, that, that was the, that was 2017 dragon fest. Right. I, and it was I remember the, like the Burbank Marriott. So a big event, yeah, a big event I, hall too. I remember talking to uh, Don, the dragon Wilson and just being almost overwhelmed by his, uh, how charismatic and personal he was and his brother. And they were like talking to me and they didn't even like hard sell me on anything. But as I'm there, I'm like, do you mind if I get a t-shirt? Do you mind if I get a movie? I mean, it just, it, People were there not to like sell, but more there to share. And then that's how, you know, of course, I had I had seen you guys training before at uh, Team Karate Center. Right. And so for reference, I uh, had already been training with uh, our mutual sensei now, Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham, for about a year and a half. And uh, we initially started out training in a gym called Team Karate Centers, where Gavin was also training with Sensei Benny, the jet, in kind of more of his like civilian type class. So occasionally the class times would overlap, but they had priority over the back room with the mm -hmm. ring. And we would be in the front room, even though we were technically the fighters. And you, we, you were in, <laughs> you were in a closet. Yeah, a but, padded closet. A padded closet. Yeah, I mean, it, it was typically enough room for us. It just sucked when we needed to spar. Sometimes we'd get the ring, but not always. So, anywho, uh, that was technically like our first time officially meeting, which I don't really even recall. But it was such a crazy day, and there was so yeah. much going on. And Herman and I were manning the booth, and I was also just fanboying out, like running around, meeting all these people. I too was seduced by Don the Dragon Wilson and his brother, and bought a <laughs> T-shirt. I still have to this get? day. Remember, was I have the, the white one. Yeah, same here. Yeah, so we yeah. got we we got the same one. Yeah, it's a great shirt. <laughs> so uh, shortly thereafter, you started training with Sugarfoot. So yeah, Herman Herman told me to reach out to him on Instagram, and he's like, he, he like did his like head nod. He start come training with us, and I and I had wanted to train with you guys. I remember always walking by, but I'm like, you know, I, I'm already signed up with with Sensei Sensei Benny, and it just I don't know if it's uh, it's not good form. So I continued to train, get my fundamentals, but every time I'd walk by and I'd see, you know, Sensei PD sometimes I'd like, you know, do the fanboy, like bow to him and, and you know, he was personable back, but it was just oh, like, yeah. I, I can't, you know, I can't approach. But then, um, long story short, Herman was like, come train with us. And like, I slid into his DMs as they say. And, uh, uh he was like, yeah, we'll be there. And then I was, you know, the, the first class PD was a little late. 
and I was uh, up at the whatever uh, where was it Janjira. Yeah. So by this Sugar point, Fli- uh, we had left the Team Karate Center's gym, and we were now at uh, Janjira Fitness, whatever in Woodland Hills. So it was at a whole different gym. Yeah, and t- and I think that's why I felt like it was now okay to right. talk. Uh, so then I went and I was sitting outside. I'm like, am I at the right place? Am I at the right place? And then and then I saw PD walking up and and everyone else getting out of their cars. My everyone, it was you, Herman, and one other fighter, uh, and uh, joined the class. Had a great time. And then I <laughs> during class, I'm like, these guys are moving way faster than I am. So I just kept uh, holding on to one thing. Since I Benny always said is. Uh, I uh, now I, I held on to it then. Clearly, I'm not holding on to it now. But it was essentially, uh, I know I can do something that I've never done before. Something like this. It's some kind of ma- mantra or mantra. It's like one of his like five. You know, he has like different different codes. Then was like, even if I haven't done it before, it doesn't mean I can't do it. Or I know I can do it. So I just kept saying that in my head. I'm like, I will make it to the end of this class. Oh, by the way, PD's classes aren't always just sixty minutes. Sometimes they're ninety minutes, which yeah. was news to me. But. uh yeah, it was a great experience, but that's not necessarily where we got to know right. each other. So this is this is where we would first start seeing each other. Oh, okay, and then it was uh, fast forward. I think what would be almost a year later is About. when uh, yeah. So we 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 you know occasionally be in the the same class, or I'd see him, uh, Gavin. That is, and then. I was at a screening at uh, the Arclight. So the Arclight was a chain of movie theaters in LA. There was like four or five of them and you could join, like become a member. Uh, the tickets were always a little bit more than the regular movie theaters, but you got kind of like the the, the better treatment, in my opinion, the better crowd, less chatty mm-hmm. Cathy's in the movies and so forth. And they had very strict policies about that. And so you would, as a member, you know, you pay your annual membership, which was dirt cheap, but you'd get it free screenings throughout the year. And they did Drunken Master. And mm-hmm. I was at Drunken Master and I saw you and I was like, oh, hey, Gavin, I, I didn't know you like Kung Fu movies. And you're like, yeah. Yeah. And I, then so. Well, and, and so I, I see AJ across the like the foyer, whatever, the big the big entryway that uh, the Arclight had. And I was with my friend Marvin, who he and I had worked on uh, martial law together. So when Marshall, I was hired on martial law, the TV show. uh and they needed an extra hand for a few weeks when they were doing the setup and moving. So I told Marvin, because we were both like film friends and had watched the first season of Martial Law together. You know, every week I'd go over to his apartment. So he came on and joined for three weeks and uh, we saw you. And then you're like, you were wearing the Millionaire's Express t-shirt? Yes, I was. My Sammo yeah. Hung t-shirt. And then that's, that's how we started talking about like Sammo Hung. And then we realized that the friendship was beyond the ring that it was. So then that's when we became pretty good buddies and started texting regularly. I feel like started, uh, we definitely started seeing you more in the gym because then shortly thereafter, we've switched again to another gym over to house <laughs> of champions. And that's yeah. where you started coming more regularly. I think cause the commute was easier for all of us. It was. You work in downtown. I was living in downtown by that point, And it was a much easier commute still it, terrible it was on the elite, way back still but. terrible but it was like 20 minutes faster oh like, yeah, at least going along the 101 to shoop avenue just uh, yeah just i would say honestly maybe even just two exits too far to make it anything regular oh yeah for, for sure and when i first started uh going to the gym in woodland hills that location i was still living in mid-city so it was insane it was an hour to get there yeah. uh 
I remember like the fastest day would be 45 minutes, but it was an hour to get there <laughs> and like uh, an hour 10 to get back. And then once he switched house to champions, I was able to, I remember my fastest time once was like 23 minutes. Right. I was like, woo. And uh, then even on the way back with the worst traffic, you were looking at probably 45. So it was nowhere near as bad. But anywho, we start hanging out all the time, blah, 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 blah. Uh, fast forward to, uh, I'm in grad school now. It's the end of, uh, my second to last semester. So really kind of the end of my normal classwork, the last semester I was just preparing for, uh, my dissertation more or less. And so for one of my classes, uh, I believe it was called emerging technologies or whatever. I had to do some sort of kind of project revolving around, uh, some sort of emerging type technology. And one of them was start a podcast. And I, I looked into it. And I was like, all right, I think, and I'm not a very tech savvy guy. So I thought, okay, this is easy enough. I've got a, uh, host a podcast. I have to put it on, you know, a hosting site. I have to have at least three episodes. Then I have to have the data available. So I had to make sure I pick the right kind of one. Then I have to print out my data, kind of just show the research of how many listens I had. Doesn't matter if I got like zero. And so I hit you up. I'm like, Hey, you want to do this podcast project with me? Technically we'd need to record, uh, two episodes. Cause the intro would count as one that like two minute intro. Then we had to do two episodes and we're like, sure. So we we did our f first one in, once again in my apartment in LA with our sensei Peter Sugarfoot Cunningham. There was definitely snacks involved, and we had just this little microphone I had bought to hook up to my phone. The <laughs> problem is we pretty much have to pass it off to each other and talk into it, and we kind of kept it in the middle of us, which was working. But then Petey was getting more and more comfortable on my couch, and he'd be like, "Son, so." Yeah, and, yeah. You know, for those of you not watching on video, I'm starting to lean back. He's just, and anyway, then, you know, I fought Lafayette Crawford and, you know, that was a good fight. <laughs> All right. Petey, lean back in, lean back in. He's like, oh, sorry, son. Sorry, son. Uh, so, yeah. And then from there, it was kind of like we just decided to keep doing it. That's when I reached out to uh, Keith Cook, Harabayashi, and he got right back to us. And that was right before the lockdown. So we went and interviewed him at his school. Uh, then, you know, I had already met Leo Fong and trained with him multiple times and I thought I'm going to interview him. So at the beginning, we had this idea of doing a lot of interviews and audio commentary, both of those kind of not fell to the wayside, but just, we kind of went a different route Then the pandemic mm -hmm. hit and it ended up being kind of a blessing in disguise for us with a lot of extra time. And we needed a creative outlet in a sense. And when I decided to leave LA, doing a remote thing is perfect for a podcast. And then that's how it was born. And really for the last like two years, we've made it a, a really regular thing. So we're coming on what will be technically our fourth year in December. So it started yeah. in December of 2019, just before the pandemic. And so we'll be coming on four years and this is our 100th episode. And we've, had an awesome time doing it. We've we've interviewed some cool people, even though we haven't done that in a long time. We did LA Comic Con last year, which was a lot of fun. We've watched some amazing movies. We've met some amazing people now through the podcast. Mm -hmm. uh, definitely had a lot of support from some of our other friends already in podcasting, uh, like Sifu Alex Richter of the Kung Fu Genius, who's uh, always given a shout out. So thank you to him. Uh, and yeah, super excited to continue it. We're not going anywhere, but now well, well we're only not, it's not that we're not going anywhere we're going oh everywhere to the top we're going to the top yeah uh, i was gonna attempt to sing van halen's uh sitting on top of the world or i guess van hagar 
but uh, I'm not going to subject. That's okay. I I was about to do a Randy Macho Man Savage cream rising to the top, but my my vocal cords won't be able to sustain the rest of the podcast after that. This is true, but Gavin has a really good Macho Man impression. But anywho, uh, we're just going to skip over martial arts movie news. Let's go straight into a quote. Do you have a quote for me today, good sir? I do have a quote. Uh, The quote is... Who the heck is interrupting my kung fu? Oh, dynamite, dynamite. That would be black Black. dynamite. Very appropriate. Yes, because the one movie news that we would probably talk about is something we might talk about in a week or two. Yeah, so Outlaw Johnny Black is out uh, and playing. And it's such a bummer because I had said to Gavin, I, I was like, we should review it. Uh, but it's not playing anywhere near here because when I looked it up last weekend, I kept putting in the outlaw Johnny Black and stupid Fandango. It didn't pop up. You think it would Fandango. Just, yeah, with just it's the right words. But very putting, finicky. Very finicky. Very. So finally, I don't know what I was it, like because when I put in the outlaw Johnny Black, the outlaw Josie Wales pops up, all these other movies that I've played in the past. So I don't know how I thought of. I think maybe because I looked it up and I was like, oh, technically it's outlaw Johnny Black. And then it popped up in. Right now, it's playing uh, here in Fresno. It's playing at one theater kind of on the other side of town, nowhere near me that I haven't been to yet. But if it's still playing through this weekend, I'm definitely going to go see it. If not, I might miss my window. Yeah, you you and I are in the the same boat there. It is playing across town in North Hollywood. Uh, So this weekend, if it's still playing, I'll be going. Yeah, likewise. And then we'll probably be reviewing it. But anywho... uh, are you ready to talk about oh. the movie we're talking about today? Uh, I'm I'm feeling super, my friend. Oh, you're feeling super about, super our, about what uh, we're going to talk about. Oh, I like it. I like it. Okay, today we are discussing the 1992 absolute, I know, we use the word all the time, action classic, Super Cop, starring the one and only Jackie Chan and the return of Michelle Yeoh, a.k.a. Michelle Kahn, and directed by the genius Stanley Tong. So, Super Cop. Man, uh, what a movie. A.k.a. Police Story 3, mm-hmm. Super Cop. Uh, wow. I mean, this it, movie is just... It, it's... It's one for the ages, to say the well, least. You, you know, I... I think when I, as I was rewatching this film, I think I, I know you got up to three at least, right? Three rewatches I, I in the last it In research for this episode, I watched the film three times. I watched okay. the original Cantonese version, Police Story Ooh. 3 Super Cop. And then I watched that version with the wonderful Frank Jang's audio commentary. Then I watched, honestly, my preferred version, the Dimension release. And I know it's probably <laughs> blasphemous of just Super Cop that was released well, I, in theaters here in America. Yeah, all, all all the versions are great of this film, uh, but as I was as I was rewatching it, I was thinking, is this the ultimate Jackie Chan film? And then I started trying to define what a Jackie Chan film is or was because there are so many fantastic films that are slightly like a little better in some aspects, but they're also shared projects. This one just seems to be. This this is this is the the prototype, and you know y- you may have nailed it on the head. This may have been like kind of the climax of the all around peak Jackie Chan film in terms of fight scenes, stunts, action, comedy, international locale, et cetera, et cetera. 
And one of the reasons that it may have very well succeeded is the fact that he actually handed over directing duties to somebody else. And luckily, and he was very hesitant to do that, but luckily Mm -hmm. in someone like Stanley Tong, he trusted him and had an amazing, technically second time only director handling the project. Uh, which perhaps gave him more time to focus on other things like, you know, his performance and, you know, the fight scenes and the stunts and all of that jazz. But because even if you compare it to one of my all time favorites shortly before this uh, Operation Condor, this film technically blows that one out of the water in terms of the stunts, right? Like the overall because nothing can almost nothing can compare to this film in the magnitude of the stunts in it now other films of his have i mean i should say so many of his films have incredible stunt work like police story one and two miracles even like even if it's mm-hmm. smaller scale but just so many uh stunt beats throughout but this one not only has those smaller stunt beats throughout it also has this finale that's just contains one of the craziest stunts ever performed as well as a handful of other just amazing uh, stunt set pieces and showcases. The, the, it's, it's, it comes at a very unique time in his filmography. And, and the fact that it was released later in the U.S., you know, because of, of when traction was hitting for him, uh, just shows how it, it is essentially a timeless film. But unlike other Jackie Chan film other other films that feel like this is this is a solo Jackie Chan project which clearly it isn't with Michelle Michelle Yeoh in the film and, and others you and why and and so forth but there's something about like the police story series mm-hmm. that is is an action franchise built around Jackie Chan this one is particularly good and particularly distinct because of how it looks, how it feels. And also there are a few Jackie Chan, non, non-Jackie Chan-esque elements in it, which ironically make it more Jackie Chan-esque or his his best film or his, his I, I hate to say best film, but his most, the film that is easy to package and say, hey, here's a Jackie Chan film. I mean, there's a, there are a lot of explosions in the film, which it, you usually don't see in Jackie Chan movies. There's even some, uh, one gun death scene or two gun death scenes. Yeah. Which, a, I mean, uh, as done by Jackie. Yeah. So, I mean, they're, they're, I mean, unless you're going into Jackie's dramatic side, you're not, you usually don't see that level of, uh, bad guyness mm-hmm. existing in a film. And I think by allowing, allowing Stanley Tong and let's just say Yoon Wah to be the, the henchman and other people to be, to have so many bad guys in the film, it does raise the stakes and you don't always get those raised stakes. Like in project a, for instance, or project a two, the stakes are high for the character, but they're not ex- necessarily existential. Mm-hmm. These are existential stakes for Jackie Chan. And that's what makes his stunt, what he has to do and the stunts he has to, you know, under undergo, uh, all the more relevant. It just the film cinematically and uh, script wise just works so well to make this the, the like this perfect bubble. Right. And it's it still has the magic of a local Hong Kong film or like the first police story films, the first two, yet on a big international feel. So you still get the solid, gritty, beautifully executed Hong Kong style action but in an international type picture. And this is where they were kind of segueing into this more 
a la, you can almost say like James Bond type feel, but they didn't go too mm-hmm. far. Now, Jackie Chan's First Strike, the next film in the series, still a great fun movie, but almost all the elements of police story have vanished. Now, this one, a lot of the feel of uh, the technically the the character uh, Chan Kakui or Kevin Chan, uh, we'll just call him Kevin Chan. In some of the old English dubs for police story, one, two, he was just Jackie. But so Kevin Chan, uh, a lot of it is kind of, missing in this film but there's still enough to keep you uh captivated in the sense of if you're a fan of the first two by the time they got to first strike or jackie chan's first strike it's almost completely eliminated he's now james bond he's now that local hong kong cop feel is is gone he's now like a super spy and it's still a great film with some amazing stunts and uh, one of the greatest fight scenes he ever did in the latter fight uh but this film was able to to do both at the same time. And that's why when you say, is this kind of the peak Jackie film? It, it almost is in his blending of not necessarily the East and the West, but the local and the global. So really kind mm. of that you might call global, right? Like as silly as that sounds, but like the globalization of like Hong Kong cinema. So he's he's still giving that true authentic Hong Kong martial arts action film, but on this international scale with a lot of international locale, including one of the first films, uh, Hong Kong films to really shoot in mainland China. Although Mm -hmm. it's not as extensively shot in mainland China as you would think, uh, according to the commentary by Frank Jang. But really before this, I mean, yeah, there had been some Hong Kong co-productions, obviously, uh, Shaolin martial arts with Jet Li and even Eight Tales of Gold a couple years before this, which was a, a melodrama, a Mabel Chung melodrama that starred Sammo Hung. There was a few films uh, that had filmed in the mainland, but this was like kind of the first big Jackie one. And Jackie was obviously well known in mainland China by this point, but through like bootlegs and stuff. So it was, you know, a big deal him going there and actually shooting in Guangzhou. And I've read on some. Uh, like even the little booklet that comes with the amazing 88 films release of this film, go buy it if you haven't already. Uh, and they claim it was partially shot in Shanghai. I don't know uh, if they went to the studios in Shanghai and shot. According to Frank Jang's audio commentary, it was just shot in Guangzhou uh, at an actual like military office and police training academy. And the rest was replicated in the new territories in Hong Kong, which I tend to believe more so just because I didn't see anything that seemed like Shanghai to me or any of the the movie studios. But uh, yeah, so there's a lot going on in this film, a lot of firsts. And I think you may have nailed it when you state that maybe this is the the peak example of Jackie Chan filmmaking in the sense of we still get some incredible fight scenes with even some like more traditional Kung Fu like choreography thrown in, which is great. Mm-hmm. Uh, and we still get Jackie humor some and now a lot of the Hong Kong humor was cut from the super cop release I shouldn't say a lot but uh, enough Uh, it's about 10 uh, minutes total that's cut from the super cop release and in all honesty as I said my preferred version probably partially nostalgia factor is the dimension super cop release and we'll get to that uh, in a little bit as to why but yeah so I I think it's a very fair statement when you say that. And, you know, it, it's there are a lot of great Jackie Chan films throughout. I mean, like when you get into the Drunken Master 2, Legend mm-hmm. of Drunken Master, that's one of the finest kung fu films shot in the last two or three decades. Maybe some people might be able to throw a few stones at that statement, but not many. Uh, 
However, that doesn't feel like a Jackie Chan film. Young Master feels like a Jackie Chan yeah. film. And what I think what 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 for me and same with Mr. Nice Guy, what what makes these films uh what is emblematic of a Jackie Chan film is you're basically everything is thrown in and sometimes the things that are thrown in don't make sense or don't fit. And sometimes it just works so well. So there are elements in Mr. Nice Guy that are just like, uh, it almost works 100% of the way through, but there are a couple scenes that, that would have made the film better without or with. And then, of course, there's like Young Master where it's like they are literally throwing in the kitchen sink. Super Cop does that as well. But it works because the timing and the pacing, uh, Stanley Tong, Stanley Tong's direction, and probably also leaning on Jackie Chan's uh, expertise and also, also uh, Willie Chan and mm-hmm. and Leonard Ho and everybody leaning on their experience. I think he was able to create one of his best films uh, as far as consistency from, from beginning to end when it comes to a Stanley Tong film. That's why this, it has, you know, I, I don't mean to fixate on a Jackie Chan film, but it just, it throws in everything that you would want and it doesn't leave any any stone unturned. They're literally trying. They're literally getting every element in. And when it works from from minute zero to minute ninety three ish, it's just fantastic. And I, I think what should be mentioned is also this is kind of uh, the the peak point in a sense too of Jackie's physicality where he was still able to do everything martial arts wise. Now he was still able to do some incredible stunt work for years to come, but and his execution of martial arts movies or moves are still fantastic to this day, but I'm talking purely his speed, his agility, everything else. Cause this film, uh, you know, film probably 91, 92. So he would have been about 38 years old, right? Where, you know, depending who you are, mid to late 30s is kind of that physical peak. Now, is he going to be as fast or agile as he was in his 20s and the 70s? Absolutely not. But he was still able, you didn't see anything and be like, oh, Jackie's kind of slowing down. Whereas by the time he got to Mr. Nice Guy, so 1997, even in that one, you see some movement of his. You could see it. time is catching up a little bit with him, right? He's 43 years old at that point. Still incredible. Still moving better than, you know, most action stars ever do. But in this film, you don't get a single ounce of that. Jackie's kind of slowing down a little bit. Or, oh, that kick wasn't very clean. No, he's executing some fantastic uh, every, martial arts moves. It, it's again, it, it, it's it, I'm sure the age is a, is a clear factor here. Also pre pre rumble in the Bronx injury is a major right. factor here. The ankle break. Yeah. Yeah. The ankle break. And then of course, you know, working, doing dead heat slash thunderbolt while having ankle break probably wasn't the best thing for career trajectory and in injury recovery but there's also the aspect that you put you you said very in the very beginning he was finally trusting another director so he was probably able to take a little more time and i think that we don't get to see that too often in jackie chan films where he completely trusts another director without any lingering injuries i think the only other time we get to see that is before this film when he was trusting Sam, of Samuel right. or Corey Yoon or with Gorgeous. Right. Um, and I, I think it was shortly after this that he would have done Drunken Master 2, which I feel like maybe, and this might be blasphemous, is the, the final display of full peak Jackie Chan martial arts abilities. And don't get me wrong, like Gorgeous has two of my all-time favorite fight scenes in it with him, but you know, he's a little bit older, tiny bit slower. 
at that point. Well, and, but and, and that and that is part of the script, which is what I've also I've always liked right. to, in particular about Gorgeous is is the authenticity of where the character is in his life. I think Jackie Chan has taken such good care of himself through the years that he's been able to pass for younger and of, of course in so many so many Hollywood films younger is what's usually cast so he's always been he's essentially been playing characters who are 10 to 15 younger years younger than he is whereas in gorgeous you know not to go off the rails and not talk about supercop but in gorgeous and also but also in supercop so he's playing someone who is his age and what he's doing is remarkable for his age and what he's doing is remarkable for people 15 years younger than he is. Right. Uh, 100%. And even when you see, even spots, not that he's trying to put on display in this film, but especially a lot of the behind the scenes photos and footage, he was in phenomenal shape for this movie too. He was like jacked uh, still. And you, you see the physicality he brought and you wonder, my, my theory from somebody that, you know, a fitness professional has worked in the industry for years, because he was shooting this and Crime Story at the same time when they were in Hong Kong and stuff. And you wonder how, like, how do they maintain that physique and abilities? Now, the abilities is just a lifetime of doing them, right? But yeah. uh, in some of the behind-the-scenes interviews, Ken Lowe even talked about how Jackie would work out every day. That probably doesn't necessarily mean while shooting, but, you know, he took his physical training extremely seriously. And when you're shooting just nonstop like this all the time, the physicality would maintain kind of your physique that you have, especially because he's not a bodybuilder with a ginormous physique, right? So if you're eating kind of clean and just burning so many calories by filming all day. That's like how you can maintain a physique like that. Not to mention as someone that's worked on some film and television projects in China, typically the food that's being served, I've always enjoyed it, but it's very <laughs> basic. Like people always complain, but I, I've yeah. honestly always liked, I'm like, cool, look, rice, stew, and vegetables. This is right up my alley. But people are like, oh, it's so disgusting. And I'm like, I, I remember the, I worked at a studio in Foshan, uh, speaking of Foshan, which is featured in this movie, depending if you're watching the English dub or uh, the, the Cantonese version. But, and I worked on a, a couple shorter projects, but one film where I was on set for like four or five days. And I always looked forward to the lunch and dinner and everyone's like, Oh God, it's like this. And I'm just like, stew but yeah it's kind of <laughs> technically it's kind of clean food but anywho that we're kind of digressing let's i was oh, gonna go say we're, we're, we're gushing over this film and for anyone who hasn't seen this film th this is usually like about 10 minutes ago is usually when you're like giving us the synopsis so i'm gonna give the synopsis real quick so this is the third film in the police story series which features uh our detective kevin chan chan kakui uh, but kevin chan is the name we'll use and uh the opening sequence in the Hong Kong version actually has like the heads of the police department, uh, the British guys, the, the local Hong Kong ones discussing this huge drug problem that's uh, stemming from the biggest drug lord in Southeast Asia named Chai Bot. And they need a super cop to bring him down. So uh, Uncle Bill, one of the returning characters, kind of uh, Kevin Chan's advisor and the head of the department played by Peter Chan, uh, a well-known character actor uh, in Hong Kong and also a real-life uh, policeman uh, before he became an uh, actor. But anywho, uh, sorry, Philip Chan, not Peter Chan, Philip Chan. Uh, anywho, uh, they come up with an idea to try to convince Kevin to take the assignment and they leave their door ajar as he's waiting for them, not knowing he's listening in, just talking about how they, they need a super cop to infiltrate 
uh, Chai Bot's drug organization and go undercover. So he, Kevin, of course, accepts the position, but he can't tell his girlfriend, May, played by Maggie Chung, returning once again. This would be her last appearance in the series, though, in kind of a throwaway role, unfortunately. I mean, she does become pivotal in the end, but uh, he just tells her he's going on a training assignment. So pretty much uh, he's going to go undercover and he has to go undercover in the mainland and break Chaibot's brother out of prison. Uh, his brother's Panther uh, in the English version. So we'll just say Panther played by the one and only Yuen Hua. So before he can infiltrate this uh, prison in Guangzhou, uh, and keep in mind, once again, for listeners that aren't really familiar at this time, the handover of Hong Kong back to China wouldn't happen until 1997. So yes, there was obviously travel back and forth to some extent, but not a whole lot of filmmaking, as we mentioned before. A lot of Hong Kong audience members had never been to mainland China. They're very kind of hesitant and fearful of the upcoming handover. So even just seeing mainland China on film was new and scary for them. And so before our Kevin Chan character can infiltrate this Chinese prison, he has to be uh, brought up to speed with the local police authorities on kind of customs and this and that. And obviously they're working with the local police. So uh, he is partnered up with a local uh, sergeant, I guess you could say, right? Is she a, a sergeant or? Yeah. Yeah. So uh, I'm trying to, see, uh, so for her different versions. Okay. So uh, I guess, uh, let's see here. So Inspector Yang is what they call her. Uh, uh, played by the one and only Michelle Yeoh, who at this point was still being credited with her original English stage name, Michelle Khan. She wouldn't go back to kind of her pre-married name until after this. So Jackie uh, has to team up, excuse me, Kevin Chan has to team up with, uh, sorry, Inspector, uh, no, not, yeah, Inspector Yang. Sorry, it's, it's hard when you have the different versions and the different names written down uh, to kind of learn the ins and outs. So he infiltrates the prison, helps Panther escape along the way. Uh, Inspector Yang joins him as his sister undercover, given the name Hannah in the English dub and together <laughs> they go with Panther back to Hong Kong. They meet Chaibot. They infiltrate the group. They uh, accompany them to Thailand where there's a, a big drug deal going on. Thailand leads to Malaysia where they have to go break uh, Chaibot's wife out of prison, but not before their cover is exposed due to the fact that May Kevin's girlfriend, coincidentally enough, is in Malaysia as a tour guide. And so then they have to try to rescue May while also still working for the bad guys now against their will and then also bringing the bad guys to justice. So that's the basic premise of the plot. I know I may have skipped over a lot, but really you should go out and watch this movie ASAP. But yeah, you as you could tell, a lot of international locale, a lot of big action set pieces. We have the prison break. We have a great mainland China restaurant fight scene. We have the big giant shootout with explosions in Thailand, the drug deal scene. We have the finale in Malaysia and a bunch of other little mini action scenes thrown in throughout. It, it, it's fantastic. And you, and you, you know, um, it's one of my favorite training sequences where... Uh, Jackie Chan is training with the with like sort of the Chinese uh, mainland China um, military cop. Uh, but I, I almost want to just kind of skip forward to that to that uh, like 
restaurant fight sequence because I I think what makes we all know what make there's so many things that make Jackie Chan films special the stunt right. work of course the fact that he puts himself on the line for the film you know he gets injured but also his characters get injured mm-hmm. and that's really something that you know I, I hear that there are a lot of you know action stars that have no losing or no loss clauses in their in their contracts how many times have we seen an action film where particular actors film after film after film are never defeated what i really appreciate about uh, super cop and the restaurant fight sequence in particular is Yunwa has a fantastic career playing playing the heavy playing some good guys occasionally he gets he gets arrested by the police tased so does Jackie Chan Jackie Chan gets tased twice they're both trapped and they go down right and uh what's special about Jackie Chan in and unlike so many other producers directors action stars uh, who are very concerned and I, I I shouldn't even I'm not I hate to rip other people by comparison to Jackie Chan, but there's so many people who who are concerned about a particular project or a particular image. What Jackie Chan seems to be concerned about is legacy. Mm-hmm. And it's still on full display at this point in his career where he's concerned about legacy and what happens after his career. And by him getting tased twice by the local police and unable to to escape uh, allows the spotlight to shine fully on Michelle Yeoh. And right. so we get to see her abilities. I mean, listen, obviously fans know her. Some, a lot of fans had seen Royal Warriors, Warriors Magnificent Warriors, uh, Yes, Madam, so many of her great films, but... This is the reintroduction of her after how many years retirement? So it would be about, I think, maybe four years, three years. So, and we should mention that real quick. So after her initial run of films with D&B, you know, she uh, obviously, I mean, she started off in The Al vs. Bumbo as a small role and then uh, Twinkle Twinkle Lucky Stars. But then with her first starring role in Yes, Madam, and then Royal Warriors, and then Magnificent Warriors, and then Easy Money, uh, which was kind of more of a crime caper, she married Dixon Poon the head of DMB films and retired. Uh, so it was only right before this that they decided to divorce. They're separated and she wanted to step back into action filmmaking. So the timing was just serendipitous, if you will, because mm-hmm. Stanley Tong, who had worked with Michelle on Magnificent Warriors as a stunt coordinator, stunt double, uh, he was, you know, the, he's the director of this film looking for a partner for Jackie out of nowhere, Michelle Yeoh is like, hey, I'm coming out of retirement. And the, the, the timing was just perfect. So audience, and she she wanted to prove to audiences she still had it. So she's three or four years removed from any sort of action filmmaking. And it's not only the introduction of her character as being a badass, because we don't really know her full capabilities or skills yet. We haven't seen during Jackie's uh, previously mentioned kind of training sequence in the mainland, where that was an actual like police training academy, by the way. Uh, he has a great fight scene with Sam Wong, uh, one of his stuntmen, which is a mix between Jackie's more westernized, like kickboxing style, and mm-hmm. his character's more traditional kind of toilet foot hungar style. We we don't ever see Michelle Yeoh do anything physical. So in this sequence, when she comes to rescue uh, the Panther character and Kevin Chan character, wow! And what a way to just enter. She literally enters with a jump split kick in the air. 
Yeah, the the cameras the cameras a little is a little low, so you see her leap up and over. I mean, it, it's it's about as iconic an entry as anyone could wish into a film and into a career. It's almost like the fin of the shark in Jaws. Right. It just comes up and over, and then the the the, the split kick, and then it continues from there because Jackie Yoon Wah frees himself. I, I this. You know, getting to rewatch the film multiple times uh, before we record, you you get to watch the background a little bit. You see Yoon Wah clears the chair in that sequence much earlier than Jackie. Right. So Jackie is still struggling. His character, Kevin Chan, is still struggling uh, in a prolonged way so that Michelle Yeoh can continue to clear the space. And shine. And it's and fantastic. He, it's extremely giving. Right. And he doesn't try to upend her at all. And it, the look of shock on the Kevin Chan character's face, because he doesn't know that Inspector Young is this good. It, it's like you believe it, right? Because he's just like, whoa. And then he doesn't even try to make himself look like a badass in this scene. He even makes himself look kind of go- goofy because one of the guys that Inspector Young is fighting, he goes into a traditional Kung Fu pose. Then she goes into a very traditional kind of like white crane pose. And then Jackie just kicks this guy in the back of the head and then goes into kind of a hokey, stereotypical, like, hungar pose, trying to make himself look like an uh, expert kung fu uh-huh. exponent because his character doesn't really know kung fu. They even state, like, well, in the English dub especially, his background is more boxing and taekwondo and hapkido. Uh, but, yeah, as you said, it's Jackie's never had an issue with, you know, he doesn't have to be the top dog. And in this I, film... The, the best part is Michelle Yeoh, she kind of had more of that drive to be on Jackie's level. And so they were able to definitely play off of each other in a competitive spirit. But Jackie is not one of those people, you know, a la maybe some other action stars that won't be named that rhyme with Beaven Bagal, who, you know, have it literally <laughs> it's like, where are you going? With Beaven. Uh, <laughs> who, who have it written like in their contract, right? That they can never lose and this and that. No, Jackie's the opposite. And uh go yeah, ahead. Yeah, no, it, it's and it it's it it goes throughout this film as well. I mean, the the finale uh in Malaysia obviously yes. takes to the airs and takes to the trains, takes to the roadways and motorcycles. There, there are parallels that are drawn between Jackie Chan and Michelle Yeoh. Uh, you know, Jackie Chan's jumping on uh, a helicopter ladder and going flying above Malaysia while Michelle Yeoh is, you know, on a motorcycle trying to jump a train. Uh, these are fantastic stunts that, honestly, so many others would either feel jealous about or, well, how about my character does that as well? You know, I, I'm going, I, I think I'm like, Maybe I hold Jackie Chan, on a, particularly from this era, on a very high pedestal. But as you, you should, know, because I mean, yeah. the Jackie of this era, you know, you look at from really from like 1980 to 19, uh, I don't know, till the, the end of the 90s, like right? so yep. that 20 like years, two, at least 2001. Yeah. I mean, that is the greatest action star of all time. When you say, and when I say action star, I mean, that's all encompassing martial arts stunts. This There can obviously be arguments for martial arts star, et cetera, et cetera. But really, I mean, overall action star. I mean, and, he, and, and he was the man. And I think what what makes his career so special is his willingness to share share the scene. There's a reason why when we do our top ten or did a top ten list, we had to talk beforehand saying, okay, we can only include one actor once, meaning Jackie Chan couldn't be one through eight. Yeah. Uh. So, but 
every time he's in a scene, and this also speaks to other people who who've worked with him, uh, like Samuel Hung, it's always about if you can make the other people in the film uh, look better, feel better, perform better than you ever have, then you will perform just as well. Right. But he, they're always looking to give, whether it's with Michelle Yeoh or whether it's with uh, the training sequence uh, at the police academy. But throughout this film, uh, it's just it's always about what can you do to make the other person look better or stronger, whether that's it's not just within the script, but it's also within the design of the film. And that's why it just comes across as such a fun, fun film, because he's really propping everyone up. I mean, the fight sequence on top of the train. Yes. Phenomenal. So, I mean, we could break down every action sequence in this film and it's worthy of discussion, especially from even like a technical standpoint, if you wanted to do uh, from more of like an emerging filmmaker, uh, like textual analysis of it, it, it would be like a masterclass, right? But we don't have the time to do that. Uh, we've mentioned some of them already, obviously the whole sequence in Thailand uh, in the golden triangle, that whole kind of more Rambo esque sequence with there's fist fighting, there's explosions galore, some crazy stunt work from our stars. You know, Jackie's uncharacteristically using like a giant machine gun and has to blow some guys away. Uh, and just some of the, oh, the near misses. It's just, whew, it's a great sequence, but coming into this finale, the the main and Gavin already brought him up, but the main most famous stunts. I mean, not even mentioning Michelle Yeoh hanging on to the side of the van, which I think is almost as crazy as a stunt as the motorcycle. Because in all honesty, the motorcycle stunt still incredible that she did it was done with the assistance of wires. And in yes. fact, it, it, all you have to do is watch the on the Blu-ray with the eighty-eight films uh, release of it, which once again go out and buy. There's an hour of behind-the-scenes footage you can watch. So like we get like. T- two minutes in the credits, but there's an hour and you can watch the, when they do that sequence, Michelle Yeoh is literally lifted on a wire onto the train, which is still an insane stunt, but, but the I, train is moving Yeah, and the train is moving the train. And it's a real train it and it's a not train. a green screen. No, but it, 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 it's, it is literally a controlled stunt, right. which it, is what we want our stunts to be. So our performers yeah. can continue. Same thing with the hanging onto the side of the van though. It's like, obviously there was probably some extra, you know, wires holding her on there, but it's still a crazy stunt where she's nearly getting hit by other cars and has to hang on there. And yes, yeah, so we have those. And then obviously the most famous one is the helicopter, uh, hanging sequence where Jackie jumps off the building and hangs onto the rope. And according to Frank Jang, a lot of that footage is a blend. So Jackie did all of that. But a lot of the footage we see is actually also Mars, longtime stuntman Mars doing some of that. And that doesn't have anything to do with Jackie not being able to do it. No, Jackie did it multiple takes and you see him. And that's why they have those specific shots of his face like hanging on. But you know, you have to remember sometimes some of the shots, maybe the Jackie version, they didn't get as good from this angle as they did the Mars version because mm-hmm. you know Jackie could only do this stunt so many times. It was he uh, too was obviously had extra assistance hanging onto that rope. Uh, you know, wires up the sleeves and stuff. But like even the take in the that's used in the film of him jumping off the building onto the rope, I believe Frank Jang said is actually Mars's take because with Jackie's, they had a bunch of wind. And so every time he did it, he was getting like blown around and it looked kind of sloppy. So, I mean, that's just the way it goes. Jackie did that stunt a hundred percent. But, you know, Mars needs to be given credit for also doing some of the stunt driving because Jackie has a crazy driving sequence before that. So anyways, we end up on the top of the train, as Gavin was saying. And so we're on a moving train with a helicopter down on top of it. And Jackie 
has a dual fight against Ken Lowe and Gavin's friend, Aylan Sit. Because you worked with him, right? On martial law? I know. Uh, I don't know if I, I got to interact with him directly. Right. Okay. But uh, yeah, I love that guy. Yeah. He has such cinematic presence. Uh, I mean, everything he does. I mean, honestly, as like a kid, I thought he was the coolest. And then when I got to like work with some of Samo's people like on martial law, like I just wanted to be around them when they were like smoking their cigarettes outside and <laughs> like Dion Lamb in particular, like, but yeah. Yeah. And may, Super he, cool rest, guys. may he rest in peace because uh, I know he passed away like a decade ago. I can't remember what from, but uh, yeah. So he has this fight sequence and that that's not faked. Just like Gavin said, there's no green screen. There's a, and you see it. One of the the biggest like behind the scenes gaffs is jackie's character is on a piece of plywood between two of the train cars and he does mm-hmm. a kip up which where you, you know, like you pop up off your back with both guys on both sides of him and he doesn't land right and nearly falls off the train and neither of the stuntmen are able to catch him jackie has to catch himself that that's not a fake that's not a gimmicky thing that's not even like a purposeful what they call ng like no good take which you know sometimes they do on purpose to be like oh ha 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 look we messed up the stunt but no, this is a very serious stunt that, and once again, that's the beauty of Jackie Chan and a lot of these Hong Kong films. We've talked about this in the past. Sometimes you almost become diluted to the fact of how dangerous some of these quote unquote smaller stunts are, even though that's insane. He's on a piece, a narrow piece of plywood doing a kip up off his back on a moving train. Like and- you could see what the consequences would have been. He would have been at best fallen off the moving train and hit the side gravel who knows what would happen and that would be the best case scenario not falling underneath the train and being trampled to death it's it's hor- it's horrifying to like even let your brain go there but i mean like i think that his his major injury in his career one of his major injuries was in armor of god and it was simply an easy jump and the branch he was grabbing on yeah. just snapped i mean it's 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 in the care it's in the details that extra care has to be maintained and, and just be being absolutely aware for him to be able to catch himself is that watching that outtake it like it always makes me jump a little oh yeah and so yeah we we've pretty much gone through the whole film obviously incredible stunt work incredible straight fight sequences there's something for every fan of the genre here now to break down the, the two main different versions of this film. First of all, a very significant factor of this film is it was Jackie's first one to be filmed with sync sound, meaning they filmed the sound on the set. So mm-hmm. maybe a lot of people know or don't know, all the way up until the mid-90s, a, a most Hong Kong films, or I, I mean, pre-90s, all Hong Kong films shot pretty much without sync sound. Actually, okay, if you go back to like, the 1940s and 50s, they were filming with some sync sound then, but then they eliminated it just because it was too hard in Hong Kong. It's too noisy. Uh, there's too much ambient noise going on. So rather than film with sync sound, they just didn't. And then they would dub everything later in post-production, including the dialogue and the voices. So actors, for the most part, never did their own voice dubbing. Jackie had a, a, a dubbing guy that did his voice. So this was the audience's first time hearing jackie's actual voice in a film so for his true hardcore hong kong fans it was probably a little uh unnerving or uh what's the word i'm looking at kind of not upsetting but shocking at first like whoa what's with jackie's uh voice and i think this being one of the first ones they'd done with sync sound 
I think they were maybe still kind of trying to get a, a hold of the whole process because for me, that's one of the reasons I prefer the Supercop version is the overall sound editing and mixing and design because I think it, it's great to hear Jackie's real voice, Michelle Yeoh's real voice, everybody's real voice. But the beautiful part about the Supercop English dub that we got for the 1997 re-release from Dimension is Jackie did his own dubbing, Michelle Yeoh came and did her own dubbing, and we just had a fantastic voice cast. None of the classic English dub people, or, I mean, that I know of, but just great. Like, Ewan Waz dubber, fantastic. as Panther, the evil Panther, blah, blah, blah. And Tribot, Kenneth Tsang's uh, um, English dub is fantastic. It's, it's just, really, he it's sounds... It's top-of-the-line dubbing. It is. It, it's... It's that era of so a lot of Japanese animation that was coming over to the states and and getting dubbed. There, there started to become this wave that still exists today, where it's named big Hollywood actors playing these parts, as opposed to that uh, Warner Brothers era from the fifties, where there are professional voice actors. This fit right into the zone of professional voice actors. Although I will say I, I've been looking it up for a while now, and I, I haven't found it over the last three days. To see if Burt Kwok dubbed two people. Uh, now, you might know Burt Kwok yes. from uh, uh, Kiss of the Dragon, but right. also he played Cato in um, in the Pink Panther series with uh, Peter Sellers. I swear he played the head, uh, the head drug kingpin in Thailand, but also the- Who, once again, one was, the, real quick, was played by the great Lo Lee of Shaw Brothers fame. Uh -huh. Yes. And then one of the three uh, uh, Chinese officials, the one sitting in the middle who had one line. Oh, you know it what? Sounded though? like Burt Kwok. Listening to him dub Low Lee, I hear it now, and that's so interesting. But and I would not be surprised because that would be work, right? Just like I swear. In fact, I know for a fact the original Game of Death, uh, Bruce Lee's Game of Death, James Hong does dubbing throughout it. He does some characters in Cantonese. Mm -hmm. That's how distinct his voice is. Like when there's some background Cantonese, but he mm -hmm. also does some of the English dubbing, uh, very brief. But I'm like, that's James Hong. So I I think you're probably right, but. So back to the difference. So when you watch the Cantonese version, yes, there's a few extra scenes, about 10 minutes worth. There's like a whole a drug overdose sequence at Chai Bot's house with these like Western women they have that are hooked on heroin. There's some, uh, the introduction sequence to the film that we talked about. There is some local humor, uh, kind of like when they go to the restaurant, there's, it shows that there's like a wild animal, uh, market where you can pretty much eat any sort of animal you want, not to try to build on stereotypes, but obviously this is a Hong Kong film that was doing that at that time. Uh, also, as a note, with the night market sequence where the fight carries out into, uh, it's funny, just kind of reminds me of some of the night markets I used to go to because one of the vendors is selling uh, Donna Summers uh, and, uh, excuse me, Donna Summer, I was gonna say Donna Summers album. And uh, I can't think off the top of my head the other album I recognize, but anywho, so yes, that, that, there's, there's some sequences that are cut. We don't miss out on any action, but the, in the original Hong Kong version, first of all, the musical score, they, they eliminated the classic theme from police story, which I feel is mm -hmm. kind of silly. Cause I love that. And I agree. There's there, the, the score that they use, there's moments where it starts to sound like it's going to build up and then it just doesn't get there. I also think they ripped off Batman a little bit. Danny Elfman's Batman. I heard little, which wouldn't be unheard of, but 
for a film like this, you need a big triumphant score, even if it's that, just musical and it's just orchestra. It could be even kind of stereotypical, but they do the opposite. They just leave it kind of bland and flat. Not that you need any pop music. Uh, yeah, well, and they mix it. That was my that was my one objection to the to the release because when I went to see it in theaters, I'm like, why are they playing this music in their car? Well, and I, I'll it, get to that in know. a second, but so. Exactly. So we're still talking about the the Cantonese version, and even the sound mixing, even with the fight scenes. The, oh, yeah. the, I'm the sorry. Sound yeah, I, I thought you were already talking no, about no, the no, U.S. No. You're, you're no. right about this, though. Yeah, I think so, they did. I didn't think they did rip off the the Batman theme right. a little bit. So uh, in the Cantonese version, and so even the fight scenes, like the the punching, kicking sound effects, they're a, a little lackluster. They're not fully like full force Hong Kong style. You know, it's kind of they're more subdued. Mm-hmm. Uh, even some of the the gunfire explosions, it's okay, but it's just not of the same quality as a big U.S. action film. So that was, and even in during this huge, awesome finale, they're hanging from the helicopter, they're doing all this crazy stunt work, and the music is just so kind of bleh. Uh, nothing against the theme that Jackie sings over the end credits, which I think is great. I like you know Jackie's fun music, but that's not playing. The original Police Story theme isn't playing, which would have been great. It's just this kind of very uninspiring score that never reaches that level that you need to for a film of this magnitude. You you are completely correct because so the first time I saw the Cantonese version, uh-huh. I had, uh, I knew it had been released in Japan. I was going to Japan uh, for a summer vacation or to, you know, my mother still had her, my mother sister had their jobs over there. So like one of my first days there, I'm jet lagged. It doesn't matter. I go down to the video store. I rent Supercop. Loved. It was a great viewing experience. But I always felt so with both versions. And I feel like you're you're the U.S. version works so much better. The sound dubbing. And mm-hmm. I know you're going to get into that. But I always wondered like, where is that the that theme? Dun 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 Yeah, I always like whichever version I watch. I always wanted that. Yeah. And it's a classic theme that everybody loves and why they eliminated it. Maybe they were trying to distance themselves from the first two in a sense, trying to go this more uh, James Bond type route. But so, yeah, that's my my main issues with the Cantonese version. Now we go into the U.S. version right out the gate. The sound mixing and editing. Fantastic. I just rewatched it this morning on my stereo cranked up, not even on purpose. I was watching something before where the sound was down and it's just incredible. The, the punching sound effects, the explosions, the guns, the car crashes, this and that. The mm-hmm. actual musical score yes. is also very good. It fits yes. the action sequences. It's inspiring. <clears throat> it, it's like the edge of your seat type music you're expecting to help accentuate the action. And if you don't have that, it's actually very disruptive just because as audience members, this is our audience expectation. This is what we've come to expect. Even in the silent film era, we obviously, they had musical scores that somebody was performing, like an orchestra would be performing there in the theater. Uh, and even I was just reading recently on Harold Lloyd of a famous silent film star. He sometimes, once he had the rights to his films, he wouldn't allow them to be screened if it didn't have a proper actual orchestra performing it, not just like a mm-hmm. small little band. So even in silent cinema, sound was essential. The musical score was essential. So here we have incredible sound mixing and editing in terms of the, the sound effects and everything. We have a, one of the, the best English dubs I can remember, uh, in more recent uh, in the later period of martial arts films and so forth. You've got Jackie and Michelle doing their own voices and doing a great job on top of that. 
And the actual kind of musical score is very fitting. It's nothing that you'd be like, oh, Academy Award worthy or, oh, that's Danny Elfman uh, status or Hans Zimmer. Not at all. But it does the job and it does exactly what it's supposed to. Now, the one thing that Gavin was hinting at before, which is a little out of place, is the use of a lot of hip hop and straight up rap music. I mean, you look at the soundtrack and you uh, like even when their helicopter arrives at Chaibot's house, you got Tupac playing. Right. And that's more mm-hmm. that's not part of the the diegesis of the film. It's not in the film. That's just something as the viewer were it's playing for us. But even when Maggie Chung pulls up to the police station with Jackie in her car, she's got Warren G playing on the radio. Now, would she be listening to Warren G? Probably not. Mm-hmm. However, when you watch the Cantonese version and it's her pulling up with no music playing, it's just kind of overly silent. They should have yeah. had at least some like kind of basic musical score going on, which the, the U.S. Some Sam of, Hui. Yeah. The the U.S. cut does great of just having that, even during non-action sequences, that light background music score playing, which sometimes scenes just need. Like, it just feels more natural, even though it's kind of unnatural. Now, they also, you know, over the the stunt credits, they play uh, Kung Fu Fighting, as done by Tom Jones. And you know what? It kind of works. I, it does work. It, they, I, also, when, they, they also do a remix of Staying Alive while Jackie's kind of getting prepared in the mainland for his mission, which, once again, you know, it's not the worst choice, and I, I'm not hating on it. No, the, I, I remember, like, when the film wrapped up, uh, when I was watching the the Dimension version in the theaters, I was uh, I was wondering if the Jackie Chan theme would play at the end. Not the Jackie, the police right. story sung by Jackie. And then... They didn't, but obviously when Tom Jones started playing and, you know, everyone was kung fu fighting, it just, ah, you know what? It's okay. It's I okay. enjoy it. Exactly. But, and, you know, after that finishes and the outtakes finish and it's just the credits, then we get the actual, for the, the U.S. version, the super cop theme as performed by Devo or uh, <laughs> as in Whip It. Uh, yeah. you know, huge band from the eighties. And it's, you know, it's a very interesting kind of like, okay, like, I guess I can be down with this, but yeah. So obviously the soundtrack, there's a few questionable choices with some of uh, the rap music, but overall, that's the reason I prefer the super cop cut the Miramax version, which yes, may be blasphemous to some, but it's kind of similar to, uh, operation condor, which my preferred version is the Miramax cut because of the exact same sort of soundtrack issues in yeah, my and, opinion. And, and it's, and I'm, I'm the, I'm the reverse on operation condor only because of the nostalgia factor probably, right. but it's what Miramax did with super cop. I wish it could have done with so many of the other films like drunken master too. And so, and, you know, there's something, it, yeah, there's well, there, something yeah, so works. They, they butchered Drunken Master too. Exactly. Drunken Master, when they released it as Legend of Drunken Master, that's one of the reverse examples where they absolutely exactly. just butchered the, the film's soundtrack. But they they set the bar. I mean, obviously, this film sets the bar so high in so many areas, but even the re-release by Miramax, the 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 nice the nice production value that they added to it that the film deserved, uh, that that was lightning striking in a bottle or I don't know how, whatever, but it it just works so well. The film works from beginning to end and the re-release does move better. It moves better. It it, it sheds. And I usually don't like it when films shed out a cultural comedy because it just, I like to get a sense of what I love comedy. As you know, like comedy and martial art films are my two things. And I just love watching 
what's funny elsewhere, even if I don't find it funny. But with this film, because it is global, as you said, yep. it's good to lean it, it what they leaned out just made it so much better. Yeah. Agreed. So if you haven't seen this film yet, go and watch it. Definitely go and watch, uh, go and purchase the 88 films Blu-ray release, which was released here in America. So it's an American Blu-ray release of it. I know they did in the UK too. So you can pretty much get it anywhere and you can get a local version. So you don't have to worry about having an international uh, or, you know, region free player and watch both versions and see which one you like and let us know. Now, to finish off with Language Corner, I figured today a good one, and I don't think I've done this, and we ha- if we have in the past, I apologize. I figured I would just teach us how to say super. Super. Yep. So, chow ji. Chow ji. Yep. So, first tone is C-H-A-O is the opinion. Chow. 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 Ji. Rising tone. Ji. Yep. Chow ji. So, this this film, uh, so the, the, the Chinese title would be Chow ji jing cha. Chao ji jing cha 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 c h a so police so I, I if I'm not mistaken the actual tiny Chinese title is literally police story three super policeman so <laughs> I, I'm pretty sure uh, uh, the Chinese title is jing cha gu shi di san or just san jing cha gu shi san and then it would be the little parentheses and then chao ji jing cha so it's it's literally police story three, super cop. So chow ji, chow ji. Just like the for example, how to say Superman is chow ren, chow ren. Yeah, so like super person, Superman. The yeah. reason I learned that is because when I first started teaching English in China, I was still more into bodybuilding back then, so I was very big, right? Like I was just kind of like big bloated muscle, and uh, the kids, you know, a lot of them hadn't seen like uh, a foreigner you know or westerner kind of like big like that and so you know i would i would constantly be told jiro which is aside from meaning chicken meat the different tones also means muscle but also like chow ren like superman and i'd be like huh <laughs> and then so they taught me i was like oh okay so there we go so hope nice. you guys enjoyed this episode uh we've been having a little bit of technical difficulties with getting the video up last week still isn't up mostly because i have to purchase a better editing program that can actually handle the HD quality of the videos. So hopefully this one is up, but uh, our regular audio version will be up uh, at our normal time. So anyways, this has been fun. Well, happy 100. Happy 100th episode to us. I'll catch you later, my man. Take care. Peace.